welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for Apex Race Manager, the mobile management simulator. On this week's edition, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. What was behind Sebastian Vettel's race-deciding brain snap to hit Lewis Hamilton? And a Ferrari's engines no longer feeling the burn. That's all to come in this edition of the Strategy Report. My name is Michael Laminato, and joining me this week from Sky Sports F1, it's Ted Kravitz. How are you doing? Hi. All right. Slightly tired, but uh, yeah, not bad. I like the idea that something as simple as a name change has really made a very good race. European Grand Prix last year, <laughs> very straightforward and boring. This year, put Azerbaijan in the name, and look what we've got. Oh, was that was that was that what did it? Okay, well, presumably it seemed to be. Yeah, it seemed to be. Um, a lot of things were different, actually. There seemed to be a bit more of a sort of, you know, reckless approach to the race. <laughs> they were throwing it around, weren't they, around the streets? Whereas last year, they all sort of turned up and was like, oh, careful of the castle section, you know, careful of that bump before the uh, the left-hand presidential palace turned 15, or whatever it was. And then, you know, but this year it was like, oh, come on, let's have it. <laughs> I liked the uh, the idea that last year they saw GP2, which was... Well, this was an incredible race of just carnage, and that really warded them off. Normally, it's the opposite yeah. way that that kind of learning takes place. I know, I know. Anyway, it was a, um, it was a, it was a fairly long weekend. Yeah, so I'm just back, um, and um, thankfully, I didn't get the uh, the Formula One charter back because that had a that had a five hour delay um, oh. with my with my colleagues where the parking brake, there was something wrong with the braking system on the, the Boeing 767 that they were chartering. And um, they were looking at spending another Monday night in Baku again. Um, but luckily they managed to get the, uh, whatever it was, uh, fixed and have landed just recently in Luton with a with a sort of four or five hour delay. Which is, um, But I came back Lufthansa and they were uh, a, a paragon of German efficiency. <laughs> Which is all you really need after a weekend yeah. over in Azerbaijan. Uh, it was yeah. an interesting weekend to set up with, I suppose. Uh, as we've learned with Pirelli so far this year, ties are very hard, but also that I guess the pre-season expectations were for cars that were generating a lot more downforce. And given this is obviously not a, a permanent racing circuit, a street circuit, grip was extremely low and everyone was having a great deal of difficulty pretty much from the start of practice and all the way through the race with these. Yeah, and I think that was that was the tyres actually and just the fact that the tyres were, were far too hard for the circuit because even though the pit apron was dusty and you could see that on the TV and you could see the elements of the track were dusty as well. Um, when you were there, they had sweepers out and track washing machines pretty much non-stop all day Thursday and then Friday morning as well. So they did an incredible amount of you know attempts at track cleaning, um, much more than say Canada does or <laughs> or or Monaco does. Um, so they did try and sweep up every last bit of bit of dust, but. Um, no, in the in the race actually, it was very dusty in the in the pit apron so much that I have my I have my iPhone out with the running the the timing app, um, and with a few pit stops coming and going, I was standing between uh, Force India and Williams. The uh, my my phone was just sort of covered with a film of <laughs> of sort of grime and dust. So um, yeah, it was uh, it was weird, but yes, yes, it was just that the tyres it seemed were 
which is too hard, as they have been pretty much at every race so far this season. And it was interesting too, because they were too hard last year. And I know obviously the regulations have changed this year and no one knew exactly what was going to happen, but it was the same compound names that Pirelli brought, the super soft, soft and, and medium. So I suppose in some respects, a lot of the drivers should have been surprised that we didn't at least go a stop uh, softer here with those tyres. And even the pressures were quite high as well, I think, weren't they? Yeah, well... It doesn't really matter what you paint them. Um, you know, this year's medium is last year's hard. Exactly, yeah. And and it just goes it goes for all the rest of them. So this year's ultra soft is last year's super soft. So uh, yeah. But anyway, they'll 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 change it. But ultimately, really, it wasn't really the um, the tires didn't really make that much of a difference, did they? No. Well, I guess unless you consider the idea, because one of the big stories coming into this race was how Mercedes would fare on this type of circuit. We saw in uh, Monaco and Russia in particular, and on particularly Hamilton's car, that, as Toto Wolff said, a bit of a diva of a car. Mm. Not quite so many problems here, at least by the time they got to qualifying. It was looking a bit questionable on Friday. But, I mean, is this a sign? I guess this is a question some people are asking, that if Mercedes gets on top of these problems, will we just go back to them having that upper hand for the rest of the season do you think yes yes and absolutely and i think that's really the the sort of missing story from actually what what turned out in the race with with hamilton and vettel and eventually ricardo winning is that um i think mercedes you know are really very rapidly getting on top mm-hmm. of this diva of a car and 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 that was kind of the point of a piece that i think i did in our show early on in um in what they've done how mercedes rescued the weekend uh from what wasn't a good friday into uh, a great pole position um for hamilton and um you know they they were commanding the race so they've widened the the window of 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 you know ability to get a good setup it's much more drivable they understand the tires a little bit more um the car's less of a diva effectively <laughs> so they are you know they are they are getting on top of it and it's really uh for ferrari to respond and i put this to jock clear on friday after he did the the team principals press conference and he's just he, effectively he's it was an engineer's uh, press conference he's not a team principal of course but um uh, and he was saying well you know look you know we're aware that 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 not that we need to respond but we need to be good in the development race so we are bringing little things to every race we're not bringing you know one big upgrade package to say silverstone in four weeks time it's it's bit by bit we want to make actually absolutely sure that every bit we do bring works which is, mm-hmm. it has so far it's a good it's a good way of doing it but that doesn't of course account for any of the little trick bits that they had on the car that they have been taken away from them that was the other big rumour, of course, wasn't uh-huh. it, with, uh, with, oil, with oil burning? Well, I was going to ask, because it's been one of the sort of... It always seems clandestine stories from the whole year. People whispering, oh, you know, there's oil, and then yeah. no one seems to be... Obviously, no one's going to admit to anything. But, yeah, there was the speculation that actually this was all down to Ferrari, and, and lo and behold, Ferrari seemed on balance to be a little bit off the pace. Uh, well, what can we make of this? Can we say anything for sure about this? Well, I think what we what we can say for sure is that Mercedes uh, started it all mm-hmm. um, because there is a, a, a paper trail of technical directives and what people will admit to, like Red Bull team principal Christian Horner, is that when Mercedes started this, uh, Red Bull initially and Renault, their engine department uh, partner, um, requested clarifications, and those clarifications were forthcoming. They even made a rule, the FIA, to, 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 towards next year, when everybody will have to account for every drop of oil, 
that they have in their tanks. And so they'll be able to tell if people are uh, are using more oil than just takes to lubricate uh, the engine. You know, they'll be tell if uh, you can tell if you start with I don't know whatever two liters and you end up with one liter, and that's because you've burnt the other uh, liter. Um, and uh, and so what what Christian Horner told us on the grid in uh, in Baku was he effectively identified James Allison as uh, the 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 originator of this latest technical directive um so according to horner someone who now works for mercedes mm-hmm. who used to work for ferrari and we assume that's james allison although he might be talking about somebody from the engine department we don't know so maybe it's not james allison but anyway that's what we assumed um sought this technical directive it was aimed towards ferrari and it's hurt ferrari's competitiveness and um Johnny actually spoke to Kimi Raikkonen throughout the weekend, uh, just as a, you know, saying hello and asking, you know, what is it about the the, the championship fight at the moment? Kimi was saying, oh, you wouldn't believe it. it's like war, World War Three going on. <laughs> it's very intense, and um, and I think this is important in terms of giving a context to Sebastian Vettel's mood mm-hmm. of the weekend when we go on to discuss. The wheel banging. Yeah. Um, There is this, you know, I I did sense there was a bit of a persecution complex around Ferrari of the weekend. There were lots of questions about this oil burning. There were, we couldn't get a straight answer. So to answer your original question, (laughs) um, short of just reporting what, what Christian Horner was saying was that it seemed to be aimed towards Ferrari. You know, we don't have any more, anything more solid than that. Um, but it might explain why Vettel was had a, a you know we've got to make the most of this and a kind of putting up putting up a good fight mm-hmm. mindset perhaps um, if he felt that they'd been uh, persecuted somewhat through technical directive maybe felt like well you know we'll strike back type thing mm-hmm. well we may as well go straight there as we'll get onto the race and then we can go back and consider the drivers that actually won the grand prix yeah. because that event really set up yeah. the yeah the entire result the fact that uh, hamilton and vettel uh, one through a fault of his own, the other through no fault of his own, took themselves out of contention yeah. for victory. That safety car period, the second of three, when uh, Vettel nudged the back of Lewis Hamilton, and then, well, I mean, how can we describe this in a way that it, uh, you know, is straightforward and neutral? Really sideswiped yeah. Lewis Hamilton yeah. in a bit of a brain fade moment, and I don't know, in my opinion at least, was probably lucky not to be disqualified. I mean, what was your take on that event? Okay, well, I think it it started. It, it, it all went back to the. Fact fact that the um the baku circuit was uh has has this very strange layout or rather unique layout <laughs> strange, in the in that the last corner is almost two kilometers mm-hmm. away from where the pit lane starts uh, it's a long way you know mm-hmm. I've, uh, I've been through that track uh, both when it was under construction and um and for the the, the last two races and so when the safety car it has the lights out and it goes around turn, I think it's 16, is it? Mm-hmm. What I know is the Four, the four Seasons Hotel. <laughs> um, the safety car then has to absolutely blat it down towards the pit lane. But I think the safety car's top speed is about 150, something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe 160 tops. Anyway, it's got to absolutely blat it down there and has to make it into the pit lane. 
Now, of course, Lewis Hamilton, if it's if he sees the lights off around the same corner or just before, then has to control the pack. He must hold the pack back to be sure that when he's going down there at 220 miles an hour, he's not going to catch and potentially pass the safety car. And on the first safety car restart, Hamilton was within 100 meters of getting close. It was that close. I've checked this with Mercedes today. Mm -hmm. He was 100 meters away from the safety car. And they saw this, and that prompted... Do you remember there was a a radio radio message? message Yes. Where Hamilton's Hamilton's engineer said, careful, Lewis, you know, you were close to the safety car. Hamilton said, I was nowhere near him. Mm -hmm. Well, he was 100 meters away, (laughs) so... You know, in Hamilton's right, in the sense that he was, you know, he was nowhere near him. I think it was a bit of a radio message saying, you know, yeah, all right, it it was a bit close, but Mm -hmm. you know, don't worry, FIA, I wasn't anywhere near him. Um, The TV angle, I think, foreshortened the distance because it looked pretty quick, close, didn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but 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 when it was head on, that that gives a sort of slightly untrue um, distance. So bearing in mind that Hamilton knew that when the lights went out. He had to just let the safety car get away so that by the time Hamilton was on full throttle, the safety car was already in the pit lane and Hamilton could resume racing. So that's that's number one reason why Hamilton would have been backing everybody up uh, on the run down to the Four Seasons turn. The other reason, of course, is that he wanted to make Vettel maybe lose heat in his tyres and become vulnerable to Perez. Mm-hmm behind him so he knew that he knew that Vettel was on uh, what I call old faithful engine number <laughs> one uh, in a forced change uh, after they had a problem in free practice three he knew that engine was a little bit wheezy you know had already done mm-hmm. four races 300,500 kilometers getting towards the end of its life and he knew that um, what Perez would have in the back of his Mercedes and if Perez could challenge Vettel and get ahead of him perhaps on the restart then all good for Hamilton Mm -hmm. you know there's the Force India taking more points off the Ferrari so I think it was those two things that Hamilton was doing I think it was probably primarily he didn't want to overtake the safety car because that's going to be you know big trouble Mm -hmm. and I think isn't that what Matsushita did in a in a in the GP2 race the yeah, previous year? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he kind of knew that you know there was precedent for that kind of thing, um, and that if he did have to back off so as not to overtake the safety car, you know Vettel would certainly get him, mm-hmm. um, and and that would be obviously annoying. So um, uh, that is the only reason why the two reasons why Hamilton would be doing that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when Vettel saw that he was backing off and interpreted that as a brake test um Vettel must have thought oh he's backing me up so that my tires go off and so I'm vulnerable to Perez but Vettel must have known as well the the other more innocent reason mm. if you like that 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 Hamilton had to do it so he didn't didn't over, overtake the safety car but obviously he didn't because he was furious and felt that it was a um you know it was a unfair move hence his you know bashing into the back of him and then bashing him bashing into the side of him although uh, bashing into the back of him wasn't intentional obviously mm-hmm. but bashing into the side was so um but as hamilton said i had zero motivation to break to break test him mm-hmm. and i think that's right isn't it why would why would hamilton apart from having trying to 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 break the ferrari's front wing 
why what would have hamilton's motivation be to brake test vettel at that point well exactly right and uh before we consider whether or not anything else will follow up from this and then we can actually look at who won the grand prix uh but you know this is going to be one of those moments isn't it I mean, for Lewis Hamilton, as much as certainly, I think this was largely an, an innocent situation. And there is always in the safety car situation, that strategic element of backing up the pack, as you say. Considering that Lewis, though, was complaining that his tyres were getting cold behind the safety car. At a minimum, do you think he should have expected there was a little bit of a risk that someone was going to nudge him from behind? Granted that, you know, it happened and he didn't follow up on that issue. But was that to a certain degree inevitable, given the all the considerations here regarding tyres and grip. Yeah, maybe. And, you know, we've seen both him and Vettel mm. do uh, tricksy safety car restarts in the past, haven't we? Um, playing games and just trying to get the best uh, trying to get the best safety car restart for themselves. You know, it's understandable um, why they do it. But, um, you know, then, of course, you've got, you've got the Vettel uh, moving aside him and, and mm. clonking into him. And I think there are two ways... Of looking at this, um, first of all, you know y- you've got a lot of people now saying, "Oh, this is completely unacceptable," and um, you know, driving standards like this, you can't you can't set a precedent, and uh, uh, these guys have got to be role models for young drivers. Mm-hmm. I think Hamilton raised that point himself, didn't he? Yeah, about Vettel. Um, but then you've got Vettel and Vettel saying, "Well, hey, listen, you know, look, we're all men." And we drive with our with our elbows out, which was the only things that he would say about mm-hmm. sideswiping him. He wouldn't really even address it, um, particularly point by point. But when asked, he said, well, you know, we're all men out there. And I think it was almost like Vettel was sort of going back to the sort of 1970s and 1980s. Yeah. And this kind of thing happened quite a lot, didn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, you'd often see Senna or PK or or Mansell or whoever, you know, give someone a little love tap and <laughs> everyone would kind of think afterwards, oh, well, you know, that was a bit naughty, but hey-ho, you know, it's all, it's all good racing. And actually, Vettel's got a point in that if he does think that, hasn't he? Because, you know, there is this now, you know, ultra... Um, sensitive hypersensitive uh way about about formula one and you know it's partly us the media's fault you know we love a big mm-hmm. story in that you see something like that and, and it's got big story flashed all over it you know in purple lights you think oh this is going to be a good story <laughs> um and there is and there's a bit of a health and safety culture isn't there it's like oh you can't do that you know mm-hmm. it might be dangerous well clearly it wasn't dangerous um it was it was, it was there was a danger of breaking vettel's car or hamilton's car you know the mm-hmm. suspension if you do that but presumably Vettel knew knew what he was doing even if it was a bit of a rush of blood to the head so I can understand why why Vettel was thinking hey look you know I just gave him a a, a little bash to say you know you you back me up into you and make me hit you I'm going to hit you on the side just as a little warning um, and he's thinking what's all the fuss about my issue isn't with that my issue is with Vettel not then coming clean at the end of it yeah and saying and trying to sort of fluff around it and mm. and i would have i would have preferred it um and it would have been the vettel that i know and love if he'd just come out and said well yeah i <laughs> thought he brake tested me and so i gave him a little kiss to make to wake him up what you know, of it yeah cause, cause what of it exactly <laughs> i'm a world champion you know this is battle out there you know i'm hard as nails fight street fighter <laughs> that's what i do i would i would have respected him much more if he'd have said that and i kind of wanted him mm. 
to say that rather than not even half admit it and come out with yeah. what I call on TV alternative facts about <laughs> about this stuff and trying to trying to bluff it over. And I mean, he was talking to us and we were we were listening like we're we living in a parallel universe mm. here. You know, he's he, he he would try and divert the the briefing back in the press briefing the the interview back into the the break test and I was like, well, no, so you know we understand about that and you know we've just discussed whether that was a break test or not or whether he was trying to back you up or. or back up because of the safety car so the safety car get in the pits or make you vulnerable to Perez whatever understand that mm-hmm. this you know the side swipe and he was like oh well you know he wouldn't say oh yes well the side swipe you know he refused to to even acknowledge that it happened mm. it was very awkward to watch the various interviews it was just sort of a bit I don't know cringy just to see yeah, so so actively avoid. Is that what you meant? I mean, what what did you make of it from a distance? What well, I mean, think? everyone obviously saw the replay and saw what happened and saw the deliberate yeah. nature of it. And and just I, as you sort of say, the lack of acknowledgement in a way that he almost pretended as if he didn't know what anybody was talking about. You know, I think yeah, in the various yeah. interviews that are, that are up on online on the F1 website, I think there was a, a one single moment in all of those minutes where he got close to saying that something happened. But the yeah. rest of the time was like, oh, what about the crash? Oh, you mean the brake test? No, no, the crash. Yeah, yeah, well, obviously yeah. we know what Hamilton did. And it's like, well, <laughs> come on. <laughs> come on. And that's what I mean, you know, I... I and, and and people are you know, pointing the finger at Hamilton. It was a brake test, and we you know we we're talking about that and spoken about that, and 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 I don't know. I mean, I clearly Hamilton's probably not completely blameless, and a lot of other people have, have pointed to the um, to Hamilton's game games with trying to get the team to back Valtteri Bottas into Sebastian Vettel later in mm-hmm. the race because uh, Hamilton was so furious with the whole situation that Vettel ended up ahead of him post headrest and, and desperately wants to get by him and clearly that was a misstep by Hamilton that wasn't a, a particularly fair call wasn't it you know he uh, right. clearly he, he wouldn't have known or obviously didn't know that Bottas was driving his own race trying to hunt down Stroll for second he was told mm-hmm. very quickly on the radio that was the case so Bottas wouldn't start being you know servant to Lewis Hamilton but that was a that didn't particularly um ring you know, fair and sportsmanlike, did it? Asking no. the team, asking the team to use Bottas in a kind of team order situation to to compromise his own race. But um, but he was told that listen, Bottas is in his own race, and then he sort of you know must have thought, oh well, you know, I better go on with it myself. But uh, yeah, so many so many different angles to this. <laughs> well, one thing's for certain, and the 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 backslapping nature of this championship is probably over. You'd think yeah. no more of this sort of. Oh, Good race, guys. We no. did well. I will look look forward to seeing how that unfolds uh, in two weeks. But let's, talking of Bottas, segue over to the, the men who finished on the podium because Bottas and Ricardo. Now, Ricardo obviously won this race with an enormous recovery drive. Bottas finished second in what I think was just because of the fact that we had so many events in this race and because Daniel Ricardo won in a similar way. But Bottas arguably had the bigger recovery here, considering a lap down, obviously could unlap himself behind the safety car, mm. but, you know, recovered from some damage from last place to finish second and only, what was it, 3.9, four seconds behind Daniel Ricciardo. Yep. I mean, these were big, even if they weren't strategic, but enormous drives here for the victory in second place. Yeah, and I was I was actually following his, his lap times, Bottas's lap times in pursuit of Stroll. And they were brilliant. It was 44s and 43s all over the place, whereas Stroll was sort of 45s and 46s. And um, it was inevitable, from what I was watching, that he was going to get him, actually. He got him 
much later than I thought he was going to get him. But um, yeah, so that to me demonstrated, you know, the turnaround that Mercedes have made and that they could easily, if the situations have been different, had at least, um, you know, a one, two or even a one, three had Bottas not got together with Kimi, you know, on the opening lap. Um, And it's such a long race. You just thought, you know, in retrospect, all those people who did tangle at those first Mm. sort of 90 degree lefts and rights, um, well, they're all left-handers, actually. <laughs> turn one's a left-hander, turn two's a left-hander, turn three's a left-hander. Yeah. Um, that, you know, ha- had they been a bit more circumspect, they would have all been in better shape come the end of the race. But, uh, yeah, Bottas showed what the the, um, the pace of that Mercedes really was. Um, and it was a great drive. You know, absolutely stunning. Never give up, as he says. <laughs> and he proved that. It is interesting in that context. Now, obviously great drives from from these two guys but it does put into i suppose a little bit of a perspective i mean it all finished very closely yes we had three safety cars to bunch them up but uh the idea that they these two guys could come from pretty much last in the field to win the race i think does underline the fact that we do have front runners that are just that much faster than most of the midfield i mean uh, they didn't have too much trouble passing most of these cars. Daniel Ricciardo passed three at once, just for good yeah. measure at one point. Uh, it, it developed, it delivered a good race this time round, but I, I suppose that really just, just go to show how big the gap is now. Yeah, but it was red flag mm-hmm. as well. Let's not forget that because Ricciardo would have had to. Ricciardo got a, a fresh set of tyres for nothing under the red flag, mm-hmm. and he would have been. He he was already on old, much older super soft tyres uh, going to the end having done his mandatory switch to the softs after the early lap shenanigans and getting the brakes overheating and all of that. So he got the change out of the way and was going to go long to the end on one set of super softs. But then he got a fresh set of super softs with everybody else and he already had improved track position under red flag. That's how that's how he got that. Um, so, yeah, the red flag helped, as you say, Bottas and Ricardo. And the likes of Kimi Räikkönen and you know Sergio Perez, Ocon mm-hmm. as well, Ocon with his with his his bent front suspension. Uh, well, it was both, yeah, both Perez and and Ocon rejoined, didn't they? So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, the red flag really really helped everybody. We talk about Perez and Ocon. Uh, in some respects, the forgotten drivers of this race, because as you say, some of the drivers that could have afforded to be a little bit more circumspect mm-hmm. early on, they had a coming together after the second safety car, I think it was when unbeknownst to them at the time, obviously, were accidentally in a race-winning position, really. After Vettel and Hamilton had, had taken themselves out of this race, this could really have been a Force India 1-2. Yes, it could. And um, that wasn't lost on uh, <laughs> everyone at Force <laughs> India who were extremely irritated about it afterwards. And, and you know, that's a mark of how successful, I think, Esteban Ocon has been coming into this team and mm. how they've... They've really chosen, you know, the upside of that. It's a nice problem to have is that they are getting very, very close in competitiveness, Perez and Ocon. And if you look at Ocon's graph, um, I can see him, he's kind of at Perez's level, having not been at Perez's level for the first four or five races of the year, mm-hmm. arguably five or six races of the year. Ocon seems to be now towards, towards mid-season getting to be at Perez's level. And it's interesting to see where that graph's going to be, whether Ocon towards the end of the season will be faster than Perez. And then, you know, 
Sergio better sign that new Ferrari <laughs> deal now because he might he might start to uh, he might start to be shown up by this by this you know lanky gangly uh, slightly hunched forward uh, Esteban Ocon. I've started worrying about his posture. Oh, by the way, Esteban Ocon. I was I was studying it in quite some detail. He needs to stand up. I think he spent he spent too long because he's a, he's a good he's a good six foot two. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent. His t- I think he spent too long in racing cars, being strapped in with two tight seat belts, and he's starting to get curved shoulders. And uh, I want him to put his shoulders and his to back, and you know, put his head up. I think he needs he needs some lessons in Alexander technique. <laughs> you know, I've seen an ad for it. This is completely off the topic, but an ad for a device that you stick onto your your neck. And it buzzes when yeah. you have poor posture. So maybe this, yeah. <laughs> maybe that could be a Christmas gift from from you to him. Used to say, but I can, I can I can understand. You know, it's 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 being it's being bolted into these cars and having to mm-hmm. sort of hunch forward to uh, to get his head low and uh, get the low sense of gravity is giving him giving him rounded shoulders and a you know not great posture. Anyway, that, how do we get onto this? <laughs> <laughs> that relationship at Force India, though, I do want to pursue that further because we saw this in Canada that there was a little bit of niggle there regarding oh, their. Yeah pursuit of Daniel Ricciardo at the end end of the Grand Prix. Now we have this collision racing incident, but nonetheless, and as you say, we have these two drivers now on more or less the same racing level and the idea of a Ferrari contract in the mix Mm. next year for at least one of them. Uh, Considering this team is, well, they want to consolidate fourth and if Red Bull were to trip up, they would love to have a go at third. How much is that going to potentially undermine what has up to this point been a pretty well-functioning, very slick team? I don't know, because I think fourth is pretty safe mm-hmm. for them, actually, don't you? I mean, um, okay, you could argue that, you know, Williams has started to get their act together, but really it seems to be only one car is scoring big points at a time. Um, and while Felipe Massa kind of, you know, knocks in um, pretty consistent points when he's having a good weekend, uh, you get a stroll with a with a, with a a massive um, points haul for third place in a crazy race. But you've got to think that... Um, when it comes to a lot of other people finishing, he's mm-hmm. probably just going to be at best finishing in those, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth places um, with Massa and uh, Force India have already got a bit of a cushion there. So, so I, as I say, I think they'll view it as a nice, a nice problem to have. Um, they need somebody to take a bit of a leading role and crack down on the two. Um, no more nonsense. Whether that's VJ, you know, in mm-hmm. absentia doing that. Or Otmar Zafnauer, or uh, Tom McCulloch, who seems to be uh, in charge, the chief race engineer. From what Bob Fernley was telling me on on Friday, it's it's Tom McCulloch who's kind of in charge of of the way they go racing at the circuit, backed up by Otmar Zafnauer. So one of mm. them's got to you know bang their fists on the table and says, "That's it. That's your. That's the lot. <laughs> no more." for the rest of the season, lads. Well, we'll see how that one unfolds. So you mentioned there Lance Stroll. Uh, we've got to mention Williams here because obviously Stroll, his first yeah. podium. He's not the youngest podium getter though, is he? I think there's like an asterisk youngest debutante podium getter or or something to that effect. He's nonetheless very young. It was 12, it was, it was 12 days, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah, very I close. Think I think he's 12 days, older, 12 days older than Verstappen when Verstappen got his, 
his first podium. Well, 12 days is an age in Formula One in terms of age, <laughs> racing ages, isn't it? So, you know, it doesn't count. It's, it's something like that. Yeah, but uh, Williams was in a good position. As you say, a lot of, a lot of cars, uh, after they dropped out, suddenly found themselves in this podium contention. Felipe Massa felt he could have won this race had he not had a suspension problem. But this could potentially be the moment that, I mean, as you say, up to this point, Williams has been scoring largely with one car, that they do start to get, uh, a little bit more onto even footing. I mean, he looked very comfortable in Azerbaijan, did Lance Stroll. Well, he did, and that's that's the strange thing. So what was it about Azerbaijan, which is a hard track? Mm. I've played it in F1 2016. Yeah, that put Lance Stroll in his comfort zone, um, as opposed to some other tracks where it hasn't worked for him, and, and he's ended up, you know, in trouble. I mean... I thought that was weird. I thought if he can be, I thought, wow, if he can be really comfortable around the streets where there's not really any room for error and there are some very, very fast parts of that track mm. as well as some technical parts, then they've got to say that bodes pretty well uh, for Lance Stroll for the rest of the season. And, you know, as his dad is quick to remind everybody, this is only week eight mm-hmm. of his Formula One career. I mean, we think, you know, because he's done a fair bit of testing and um, he's been kind of at it for a long time you know he should be delivering almost after the first couple of races you know oh, we'll give him a couple of races settle in but you know right now you've got to deliver um it's only week eight really isn't it mm-hmm. so so uh yeah let's let's wait and see what what he can do because um you know he's, he's dominated and won uh euro f3 the last last championship he's he's done um so yeah, I'm really interested to see how that goes. Well, everyone just compares rookies now to Max Verstappen, now, don't they? Considering he was so young and was so impressive when he came in, everyone's just sort of expected to be child prodigy Max Verstappen. It kind of hurts situations like this, doesn't it? There's no opportunity for a driver to still be a rookie almost. Yeah, um, that's true. And there's no testing like there was, say, when Hamilton came in, having won the GP2 championship and did a whole winters mm. full of testing and McLaren before he came in in... Uh, in 2007 so um that's true yeah and you have to be of course Verstappen's raised the bar for rookies Mm -hmm. coming in he's clearly exceptional um and uh that's why maybe we're not seeing quite the uh bankable youths coming in if you like you know if there are any Mm -hmm. um Red Bull farming Pierre Gasly out to race in uh, to race in Japan you know Ferrari looking at Charles Leclerc and wanting him to do, you know, win at least this year's F2, and then you'd think they'll look to place him somewhere similar for next year before getting into into Formula One, if there is a place or or wherever, you know. And even someone as experienced as Pascal Verlein as a Mercedes junior, um, only now starting to, li- to 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 deliver and and look, you know, pretty special in. You know, his his second year already of of F1. Mm -hmm. Now, before uh, we end with McLaren, because that is traditionally where we seem to end with on this program for one reason or another, uh, you obviously have a a, relatively unique vantage, I suppose, in the pit lane. This wasn't a particularly strategic race, but were nonetheless some calls that needed to be made quite quickly. Talk specifically about the likes of Ricardo and Bottas and some other drivers caught up in some of those early lap tangles. And we know that Red Bull and, and Ricardo both said, well... We had no expectation to win this race almost at any point until we got more or less to that red flag period. Mm. How much of, of races like this, and races more generally where there are these quick calls, is this all really like slick strategy that is very pre-thought out? Or is there a degree of, well, 
we'll give it a go and we'll we'll see what happens. Given that one answer could potentially undermine the entire purpose of this program. Well, they've all got um, they've all got computer uh, programs. Which if they uh, it, it it comes up and says if pit now position will be, mm-hmm. and then it says, and if you don't pit now position will be, and then it says you know p6 or if you pit now position will be p3 and so then it's quite an easy decision to make um and so really the the trick to it is is whether you believe the computer or whether you go out on a limb and that's where you find some of the more inspired strategic calls Mm -hmm. um and a lot of teams you know trust the computers um and mercedes for example they've got a very good system developed by james vowels himself and his and his teammates um but then sometimes they get caught out uh by when was it when they pitted i think it was in canada when they pitted bottas Mm -hmm. and he came out and got stuck behind ocon wasn't it yeah Uh, and they thought that they were going to to pit and then they they didn't mm-hmm. and that kind of threw the computer model you know off a bit so um yeah it's it's an interesting one isn't it and and then you've got these deals being done like the one that we saw at Sauber this race mm-hmm. as well um where they let they made Marcus Ericsson uh, let Pascal Verline through so that uh who was who was quicker so he could try and have a go at Alonso um, and Ericsson could could try and stave off the approach from Stoffel van Dorn behind mm-hmm. him and guarantee the points. And they said, okay, if Pascal Verlein can't get Alonso, we'll let you, Ericsson, back through. And because van Dorn was so close behind Ericsson, they couldn't actually do that because van Dorn would have nicked the point and would have done both, would have, would have, mm-hmm. you know, got both of them. And Ericsson, yeah, that, that didn't work for him. So when you see these strategic games being played, and drivers being asked to to swap positions and um, uh, and then refusing, you can understand increasingly why they do refuse, mm-hmm. um, because history does suggest that uh, you know you won't get rewarded for being a gentleman <laughs> in these situations. Toro Rosso's shown that in the past, hasn't he? Yeah, it? well, exactly um, right. When they when they've refused when they've refused to do stuff like that, but um, yeah, it's um, with Red Bull. I mean, and with all the teams actually. The first safety car coming as it did, I think, on lap 12 was absolutely heaven sent mm-hmm. because that was plum first stop territory anyway. So that was a very easy call for everyone uh, to come and do a pit stop um, and go onto the soft tyre as they thought if it had been a dull race from then on, everyone would just go to the end on the soft tyre. But of course, that wasn't what it turned out to be. Exactly. Now, if we do look to Alonso, who, as you mentioned there, was finishing ahead of Pascal Verlein. First points for McLaren. The unhappiest first points of a season I think (laughs) I've ever seen. They should have won this race, they say, had they been with any other engine other than Honda. I guess first question is, I mean, this should have been at least some glimmer of hope for McLaren, I suppose. Do you think they were... They were amping this up a little bit given the very obvious political situation that is engulfing this team. Yes, I think that's actually a very accurate and wise uh, interpretation of why they were so glum. Uh, you're right. I mean, I expected, I, I went and got Eric Boulier straight off the pit wall um, and I expected him to at least crack a smile. <laughs> and it was almost theatrical, his mm-hmm. kind of scowl about the whole thing. And I was... I was almost like, oh, cheer out, cheer up, Eric, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, come on, give us a smile. And um, yeah, 
Yeah, I, that's the way I read that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that it was almost like, um, you know, look, look how bad, look how bad they are. We could have won this race, and uh, I mean, they could have won the race had they had a, a better engine. Because, of course, this is the kind of the race that Fernando Alonso is completely on top of. Mm-hmm. You know, he knew exactly what was going down in a crazy race like this. He's a master of crazy races like this, and he only made they only made the one stop. It was under the safety car. Mm-hmm. They would have only made their second stop to the fresher tires under the, the red flag. You know, they would never have spent more. Alonso wouldn't have spent more time in the pits than he absolutely had to. You know, he knew what to do and when and who to pick off and what to watch for. And, and, and yes, had he not been passed by pretty much everybody on the straights <laughs> and, and had his own had his own harvesting and battery problems. Um, and I don't think they were fuel constrained in the end because mm. of the red flag. So I don't think that would have been an issue for them. Then it's a race that he could have won. But uh, hey, you know, Sebastian Vettel and 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 Lewis Hamilton could have won it, mm. but for the uh, but for the famous headrest, which we haven't spoken about yet. No, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because what an unusual what an unusual problem. Every now, probably every yeah. season, we get one of these weird weird problems that afflict a car but they're not really willing to say exactly how this happens is it uh no i know toto wolf was very defensive after the race as well well yeah he kind of he kind of had a had a sort of mini go at me (laughs) um i tell you what the the background to that is that um uh, before i did that interview he was talking to um to nicky louder and then i seem to remember that helmet marco came up and i think Helmut Marco, fellow Austrian mm. to Lauder and Wolf, made some kind of comment about the headrest mm. that that wound because because when I started the interview, Toto was all you know we were he was like smiles you know we were we were just we just finished watching the 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 podium, mm. Bottas had come off the podium and he was like okay well you know at least I've got a podium and there were smiles and he just finished Toto had just finished a conversation I wonder I couldn't hear because I don't tend to. Keep, take my headphones and eavesdropping in conversations mm-hmm. but i wonder whether helmet marco had wound him up about the headrest and it's like you know we only run we only won because you can't put a head keep mm. a headrest in and suddenly toto was um you know he was steaming mm. and and so i i asked one question about you know okay where do we start let's start with the headrest and he said i don't know what it was um, and I asked another question with the intention of saying, well, thinking, well, maybe, you know, when they took it off, they found that some of the locating plugs or mm. pins or, you know, slider had, had broken off or because they must have seen, mm. you know, uh, or if there had been a problem or uh, or what or one of the pins was broken. I don't know. I, I thought there was, must be more to it. And he kind of jumped down my throat slightly with a kind of I don't like I don't like the implication of your question is that you know there's one mechanic whose whose fault it is who's made a problem and we don't look for scapegoats in the company. I was like, well, hang on, all right. I only asked a question. Um, I didn't suggest that it was a well, maybe he well he obviously thought that I was suggesting that it was one mechanic's fault. You know, some some finger trouble. So maybe I don't know. Maybe it will come out that that it, that it was one mechanic's fault and it was some finger trouble and they hadn't secured it properly certainly when they put the re- the replacement in at the pit stop that was quite quickly put in and then just secured and then he went off and it was fine after that mm-hmm. wasn't it so that would suggest that it wasn't a problem with the mounting points on the car otherwise that one would have probably come loose as well so you know i don't know i mean i've, I've spoken to mercedes since then and they've said that um 
you know, I think uh, Toto wasn't was was just angry and disappointed and wasn't feeling that I was fishing for you know an, an, him to name names mm-hmm. at what mechanic had done and that certainly wasn't my intention you know I wasn't looking for name names I don't want to that's not that's not the way I do, I do interviews I was just thinking you know as a as a person watching it I wanted to to better understand mm-hmm. how that kind of thing could happen but uh yeah Toto was um and, and they've since released a um a, a, a story on their yes, website yeah that's a, a blog yeah, post about teamwork that, uh, and a blog post about teamwork yes. and and uh, pointing towards my question that seems to have uh, been so um so uh inflammatory it's like all right i was only asking a question yeah well that's, i suppose they've taken it to heart for one reason yeah, or another yeah, well, yeah. well anyway it gave us something to I talk about so. so that's always that's always something uh to go on from there it was uh it was an interesting race it was an actiony race at very least even if there wasn't a whole heap of strategy and certainly it gave us something to talk about in terms of the championship the gloves are, are properly off now when we head over to uh austria for the next round uh of the season do you think there's going to be a lot more in this or are we going to go back to racing as usual i think we'll probably go around back to racing as usual until we get to somewhere like monza um <laughs> some, something always happens at monza doesn't it uh and then singapore that's a high pressure race something will happen at singapore um silverstone um with the partisan hamilton crowd mm. vettel vettel is in for an absolute roasting <laughs> from the crowd um you know there'll be lots of road rage banners and there, there'll be all sorts of ribbing um good natured and otherwise from the from the british crowd at silverstone when vettel comes here um but uh yeah i mean yeah, i think they'll probably want to cool it a bit I wonder whether Hamilton went slightly over the top with his. Um, I was disgusted with mm-hmm. with Vettel's behaviour, and um, he was certainly not wasting an opportunity to put the boot in, wasn't he? Um, in his in his post race uh, quotes, knowing that they would they were be eagerly lapped up by the by the waiting journos, which they were. And hey, listen, you know, I'm sure he feels that way, but it's certainly mm-hmm. been manna from heaven, hasn't it, for the for for the press and. And for the and for the media like us to actually you know further the story to take the story on then you know when Hamilton comes out and just underlines that he thought it was a it was a, a very unsportsmanlike move and he was very cross with Vettel but um, hey ho you know it's all a bit of ham all a bit of handbags as we say around <laughs> oh in the end yeah. it's all just sword isn't it this Formula One yeah. game it's nothing much to it at the end it's just faster than some other sports yeah. Ted it's been a pleasure to have you on to look back at the Azerbaijan Grand Prix I'll speak to you next time yeah good stuff thank you That was the strategy report for the 2017 Azerbaijan Grand Prix. But if you want to read more about the strategy from this week's race, go to f1strategyreport.com for all the pit stop stats, tyre data and Jack Leslie's write-up of all the action from Baku. The strategy report is powered by the 2017 edition of Apex Race Manager, the number one new racing game in Germany, Italy and Australia. You can download Apex Race Manager for free for iOS and Android devices. My name's Michael Laminato. You can find me at Michael Laminato on Twitter, and I'll catch you in two weeks' time from the Red Bull Ring for the Austrian Grand Prix.